0: This episode of The Homilist is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. For over 75 years, Ozark Christian College has been preparing students for ministry. Ozark's 15,000 alumni are serving in all 50 states and in 100 countries around the world, carrying the gospel to every part of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. For more on Ozark's residential and online degrees, visit OCC.edu.
1: Welcome to The Homilist with me, Jared Ellis. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Homilist podcast is intended to encourage educate and hopefully somewhere along the way entertain you if you want to know more about the homilist podcast and gain access to more exclusive content go to the my guest today is a very busy man he's the associate professor and director of the center of missional leadership at st. andrews hall ross also serves as the presbyterian director and of denominational formation at vancouver school of theology as well as an adjunct professor of homiletics at St. Mark's College at the University of British Columbia. He's also the author of a new book called Beyond Snakes and Shamrocks, and it is a book on missional leadership lessons of St. Patrick. This is Dr. Ross Lockhart. Dr. Ross Lockhart, welcome to The Homilist.
2: Well, sir, it's a pleasure to uh, to meet with you and speak with you, and uh, hopefully together we'll bless your listeners. It's a real joy to uh, to be on with you.
1: Well, I appreciate so much you coming on here, and let me just go ahead and tell everybody who's going to see this, and, and if you're hearing this only— you do not need to fear the bow tie. OK, don't <laughs> don't for one second take a look at this and think to yourself, a bow tie. Really, is this guy going to no, know you better perk up? You better perk up. I've listened to several, several <laughs> sermons of yours and um very, very, very good. Very good. Thank you thank
2: you. And I do tie the bow tie myself. I appreciate that. I usually do. <laughs> Uh, just when I lecture at at the university here, I like to to rock the bow tie.
1: Right on. Okay, so so uh, I, I've never I've never been in contact with somebody who wore a bow tie, uh, <laughs> but that that probably says more about me than it says about you. So uh, well, so tell me about the bow tie. Like, wh- yeah. What's-
2: so my goal is to have one of uh, probably two epitaphs on my tombstone one day. Either, uh, preferably, it would be "Dressed to Bless the Lord." That would be what I'd like to be remembered for. Uh, or the other one is, uh, I told you I was really sick. So one, one of those two I'd be happy with. And uh, I'll let my kids and grandkids decide which one to put on stone. Uh, so I don't know. I, I love uh, love the bow tie. And uh, you can't see from here, but I'm a fairly tall guy. I'm about 6'3". And I drive a little Fiat. So I look like a giraffe with my head sticking out the top of the little car. So uh, it's, wow. it, it's all good. It is. <laughs> All good.
1: Speaking of that, I met I met a preacher one time and I (laughs) I, uh, he was and this is just a silly thing because I just noticed these things. And and sometimes, you know, when you see somebody who's fine, you know, just dressed really nice and they are they're pulling off something that you couldn't pull off. I think that (laughs) always deserves a compliment, you know, even if even if it's maybe not something that I would wear, if, if you're pulling off something I can't pull off, you know, yeah. it's like, like a nice suit. Like when people are in a nice tapered suit, that's yes. always cool because I've kind of got a blocky build. So, yes. you know, flat pants, you know, like, like flat, flat pants on the, and my pockets are open. I mean, it's just, I just don't, you know. And so I see this guy and he's wearing this really nice sweater vest. Okay. Yeah. And so I yeah. said to him and it looked good on him. And yeah. I said to him, this is, I said, Hey, uh, I really like your sweater vest. He said, yeah. "You look nice in a sweater vest." And he looks at me and he goes, huh, "Well, praise the Lord!" I get and walk <laughs> off, and I was like, "Andy, okay, sweet." That always makes me laugh. I don't know. It just always yeah. makes me laugh. So, well, praise the Lord. So, yeah, yeah, you dress know,
2: would lead to a uh, lead to a conversation. Actually, in part, that's uh, one of the things I've noticed about uh, wearing a bow tie. Uh, is that people will, it's like if you're walking a dog, people will talk to you if you're walking a dog. Um, It does invite conversation, I have to say that, which is one of my um, great loves, is both uh, being in conversation and also eavesdropping on conversations. Mm. I find as a preacher it's super helpful to always be listening to conversations that are going on uh, around me.
1: Do you think, and now we're just jumping, we're jumping straight into, into some cool stuff, some cool (laughs) stuff. So do you think that oftentimes we do that even subconsciously a little bit to attract certain things to us in that way? I mean, because we do love that kind of thing. I mean, conversations, like you said, that's true. I've never thought about that.
2: Yeah. And I think part of it, I grew up, so I grew up north of uh, North Dakota in the Canadian province of Manitoba and uh, the license plate, I kid you not, the license plate in that province is friendly manitoba so uh it is like um a province of extroverts and uh like it would be totally socially acceptable to be standing waiting for a bus and to say to the guy told a stranger next to you guess how much i paid for this jacket and he said uh 50 bucks and you say 20 bucks you'd say no way where'd you get it and then you're talking about the deal uh and when i moved to toronto to do my graduate work toronto is our big city of course and uh, I went into a little corner store, a little mom and pop shop to start uh, filling the groceries for my apartment. And I started chatting to the lady behind the desk and she started to move over to press the panic button under the <laughs> desk. Like, who is this nut bar? So I, I do come kind of hardwired from my upbringing for conversation uh, and uh, realize that not everyone is uh, an extreme extrovert. So I try and uh, moderate that depending on who I'm around.
1: That's good. That's funny stuff. That's funny stuff. <laughs> do you? Do you? You're right when you say you know. Like for collecting stories, it's good to overhear stuff for collecting yeah. stories. Um, here's a great one for you. I'll share it with you. It just happened at my house the other day. My <laughs> wife opens up a a bottle of Snapple. You know. Yeah. Sure. And it's got the facts on the inside. Ooh. On the lid, it's got the little you know like facts. Yeah. And she she reads it out loud. <laughs> I also I have two daughters. Okay one's 15, one's 11. Yeah. My, my wife reads this snapple. It said, do you know that there are nine ways to get to first base? <laughs> <laughs> so me and my wife, we begin to think about this. My 15 year old overhears it and she steps into the room and she said, is that talking about baseball or relationships?
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Where does your mind go?
1: It was exactly. like, <laughs> wow i had not even got there which is surprising honestly but she, she was like is that really and then she was like honest like no i'm serious is that like is that and i'm like first off yeah we're not <laughs> it's a bad metaphor and we don't need to use it it only goes to bad places this metaphor crazy. only goes bad so no, disconnect that part of you and uh, <laughs> let's move on you know so yeah that was that was uh That was pretty good. But you're right, you know, overhearing stories, overhearing stories and 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 learning how to collect them and catch punchlines and write these little things on napkins. Is that a thing you do often?
2: Yeah. So for me, I mean, there are preachers that you meet that uh, have like file (laughs) folders full of stories and that kind of thing. I've never been that kind of guy uh, and always a bit puzzled how people could be that well organized Uh, I, I just really, um, try and, uh, I don't know if it's pay attention, probably it's cheesy, but I'll say it, pray attention, uh, Mm. what the Holy Spirit is saying to me, uh, in any given week. Um, so I'm sitting yesterday on the bus going home, uh, from the university and these two, uh, two young undergrads, you know, probably first year university get on and they're sitting in front of me and they say, uh, man, I had to just pretend to be a Christian to get away from that guy. I'm like, Oh, what's going on here? I'm sitting reading my book, and uh, I said, who was that guy? I don't know. I think he said he was a Mormon or something. And one guy says to the other, what's a Mormon? And so they start Googling uh, Mormonism, and they say, hey, man, you can have multiple wives. What's up with that? Uh, And it was just like an amazing conversation that I was like overhearing on this bus, right? Um, partly because uh, Jason uh, probably shared some of it when you had Jason Biasi on, but where we are in the Pacific Northwest, where the, you know, it's Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, they're all kind of sibling mm-hmm. cities. Um, secularity here is just uh, the number one uh, challenge to Christian witness. And so uh, sometimes just basic facts are unknown to people about tenets of the faith, right? And so I'm always kind of listening to those conversations that are taking place around me. Wow.
1: That's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, Hey, let me, uh, let me, uh, ask you a few questions. I got a, I got a load of stuff that I want to <laughs> ask you about. Um, <clears throat> and, and part of these, uh, these questions kind of come from, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. These questions kind of come from, um, the more preachers that I talk to, yeah. these answers are so diverse. Like they all have something and that's super intriguing to me, yeah. especially a guy full of curiosity. So, um, who is it that inspires you? What are the things that truly inspire you, light you up, you know, really get you going? Whether it's you know uh, stand-up comedians, um, which I love. I mean, uh, guys who are great at oratory. You know, Barack Obama was a very fine speaker, yes. and a guy who brought him up uh, in conversation on one of the previous episodes. It's not out yet, but it will be. It will be soon. Um, yeah. But guys that really. Or people or women or, or, or anyone, anything that just really just lights you up? What, yeah. what are those things?
2: I, it's a great question. And I think uh, across <clears throat> the board, whether it's uh, comedians or politicians or preachers, people who speak with passion mm-hmm. uh, for me are, are um, always interesting. I, I'm always interested in – I remember going back to my um, home church in Winnipeg, first, first year of seminary, and uh, we had a new preacher not the childhood preacher I grew up with and a new preacher preaching Christmas Eve. uh, And he was talking about the good news of Jesus with a frown on his face. And the guy looked like he was thinking about his uh, uh, shopping list uh, for boxing day for uh, sales. And I just thought, what is the matter with this situation? Like to be able to, to be passionate about what you're speaking about um, I think is a critical piece. People want to know that you are, that you are engaged and some of the big preachers for me uh, have been folks, one of uh, whom you had as your first guest, Will Williman, uh, who's uh, had a big influence on me, along with, uh, studied with uh, Tom Long, a uh, great Presbyterian uh, mm-hmm. professor of preaching. Uh, always been a fan of uh, Fred Craddock. That name's getting a bit old now. But these guys all came out of the new homiletic of the 60s, right, w- with an um, emphasis on passionate storytelling that would connect um Uh, What Frank Thomas, uh, who runs the only PhD in homiletics uh, for uh, African Americans uh, in the African American tradition out of Indianapolis, I studied with him as well, and he talks about the need to connect the the cognitive and the emotive, the (coughs) head head and the heart in public speaking. And I think um, for Presbyterians, for God's frozen chosen, there is always a comfort with the cognitive but not the emotive. And so whatever tradition you come from, trying to, to strike that balance where passion can be intellectual passion, but also heart passion. Trying to get that knit together um, is uh, is something that I certainly strive for and try and equip our students to to be able to speak as well. Mm,
1: yeah, um, those are those are the majority of those are very very familiar names. Um, people that we people that we studied um, we studied a lot of their material. Um, yeah. in, in school. Um, yeah, that's yeah that's super. And F- Kradic is. Like he is the the detail of story. And yeah. you might not even remember the sermon, but yeah. you remember uh, the phrases, you know. You remember these, there's a man and he fell in a hole and right. somebody came along, right? Yeah. Um, or the cat that's on the highway and you pick it up, you yeah. know. And it's, I mean, all this stuff, like the, the fine, fine details. Craddock did such a knockout job um, yeah. of doing that, Uh uh, who was the guy that you mentioned uh, with the who uh, so, does the, P, the PhD
2: oh yeah so Frank Thomas would be a great guy <clears throat> to connect with uh, Jason Biase and I, I can't remember if you mentioned it in your podcast at the Vancouver School of Theology this fall uh, past fall we uh, taught preaching in the African American tradition which full disclosure two Euro stock guys teaching African American tradition is dangerous um, but the way we pitched it was every week we Skyped in um, African-American preaching friend of ours. uh, And it was fantastic uh, because when I studied with a guy like Frank Thomas, he was very clear that um, uh, non-African-Americans, Eurostock, North Americans, for example, um, we can still uh, learn the craft, right? And, And the method, which for him would be uh, situation, complication, resolution, celebration, right? And so having that anchor one sermon method um, is uh, possible. And celebration will look different in, um, you know, a, a kind of staid reformed context versus a lively uh, Black Baptist congregation, for example, right? Like yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm like an evangelical, <laughs> evangelical Presbyterian, what that means Jared is when I worship God. If I get excited, I take my hands out of my pockets. That's about as excited as I get, right? So right. C- celebration is going to look a little bit different, um, but the 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 method um, can be really helpful. So, uh, which I'm I'm fascinated by sermon method. I, I don't think it's the be all and end all. I'm surprised how many preachers prepare their sermons with absolutely no method. It's just like stream of consciousness preparation and the scary thing is you can tell when you listen yeah
1: (laughs) are you familiar with the name albert tate
2: no tell me about albert tate
1: albert tate um fellowship of monrovia fellowship monrovia i think is his church in southern california uh he was a he was a guest on here um a couple weeks back um he would be another good one if you guys go down that road again. Another yep. good one to contact because phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, in fact, are you familiar with the church um, uh, in Chicago, Willow Creek?
2: Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Okay,
1: so he has been filling in there uh, from from time to time. Okay, uh, he would be a good one to he would be a good one to contact. Yeah. If you guys you guys decide to do something similar, uh, very 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 good at what he does. Very good at what he does. It 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 is a throwback. It is a throwback to the great speeches, the great civil rights yeah. speeches. I mean, it's a it's a, it's incredible. He would be one to contact. Yeah, Albert Tate.
2: Great suggestion. I'm writing that down now. Yeah. Excellent.
1: Yeah, that would be a, that would be a good one. Um, when you talk about when you talk about the differences between a white church and a black church or white preachers and black preachers. And when you say the celebration part, you know, yeah. when you talk about what gets certain, what gets certain congregations excited, I think about that where we are. Um, yeah. I was trying my hardest, uh, we had a scheduling problem. I was trying my hardest to get Willimon to, uh, my congregation, to this, to this church that, that I'm preaching at. Awesome. And, and what's cool is we're in southeast Kansas, okay, yeah. and so you're talking—it's a different demographic than than Duke Divinity School, you know? <laughs> uh, in 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 so many ways. Yeah. But what rings true um, for what Williman does is the storytelling, because mm-hmm. the narrative—the narrative always wins. It just yeah. always conveys the message, you know. Yeah. And. I thought, man, it would be so fun to get a guy like Williman here. And so then, what I sometimes do is I begin to kind of fantasize, like, so what would happen if I brought, you know, an Albert Tate into yeah. our congregation? Like, I I think they might be, they might just be blown away at like, there's way too much crowd interaction, you know, um, expectation <laughs> uh, on my end. Like, you really want, like, how's everybody doing? Like, yeah, good, good. That's not good enough. Like good you know just right. like just so much and and so i think about like this it would be such a such a shift you know and he has he and i have a great conversation about uh the excitement and the celebration and how that happens and it's a that's a very good one uh well uh, uh, that will get uploaded here before too long as well it's super yeah. super conversation with albert tate
2: yeah and um, kind for of me sparks that question of of uh call and response right so within within the Eurostock kind of, uh, European traditions, uh, in North America, we don't really have call and response, but every time I, I meet with preachers, like they, they are genuinely interested. They're genuinely interested in what people in, um, the pews or the chairs or whatever kind of setup they have are thinking and feeling and experiencing. Right. Um, so when, when you speak in an African-American context, of course, you, you do get a sense of response. People, I always think in terms of what people are thinking, they simply vocalize, right? And there is, of course, code built in. You know, the go on preacher means we're following you, carry on. The bring it home preacher is time to wrap it up. Um, but how do we get those kind of cues from the people that that we're preaching to, right? And how do we elicit response from, from the listener? Because we, we're hoping that the Word of God actually actually does something, right? That the Spirit of God takes those words from the Word of God, from our, you know, uh, fallible, fragile, sinful mouths, and drops them on the congregation, thus creating transformation. So, you know, I, I think a lot of us are, are hungry to know that our preaching actually does something, right? That, that lives are being changed not because of us, but because of what the Word of God is, is doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's kind of built in there you know, mm-hmm. where in, in a lot of places you, you don't get to know, you know, right. you just, you just don't get to know. So it's yeah. kind of built in. Yeah. That's a, uh, it's a good observation. Good yeah. observation. What's the, um, when you studied so many different types of preachers and, uh, and, and teachers of preaching, yeah. how, how is it that you've developed the voice that you have as far as preaching goes? Like, what's the process?
2: Yeah. You know, I think, I'm just reading, have you uh, read the book Grit yet? It's a fabulous piece of work.
1: Somebody suggested it, but I have not yet.
2: Good. Okay. It's a psychologist who um, does everything from studying Green Berets to the National Spelling Bee to try and figure out, you know, how do some people get through and others don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I won't give away too much of the book, but certainly part of it is the equation of, of practice and determination. And I think uh, when I was reading that book recently, I thought this is very true for preaching as well, that uh, uh, part of preaching is the formation of the preacher uh, simply over time. When I, when I teach homiletics, I'll always say in an intro uh, kind of class, I cannot teach you how to preach in this limited amount of time, but I can start giving you tools for a lifelong vocation uh, and aspiration of, of being a preacher. Uh, and so, uh, my, I started preaching in my home church's evening service when I was uh, 18, uh, and um, uh, my pastor had the, um, the vision to be able to say, he could see see some gifts and skills, uh, and he had the ability to say, um, uh, I see in you gifts, and I'm willing to take a shot on, um, uh, on letting you into, into the pulpit. And when I think about like to those sermons, Jared, they were terrible. They were absolutely terrible sermons. Uh, and uh, and uh, those poor people that had to listen to my preaching. But over time, I you know, I think over a decade of preaching and with some formation, I don't just mean seminary formation. I think we spoke about a guy like Fred Craddock in his retirement in Georgia. He went up into hill country and taught lay preachers how to preach. Uh, and uh, I think, um, you know, that anyone can can be taught how to preach but it does take time we're obviously shaped by the voices that we hear growing up Um, and uh, our preachers that's one of the challenges at seminary is you know some of the students and where they're coming from and the preachers that they've sat under and you can hear that preacher's voice in them in the introductory classes and it's not that you're wanting to strip that away but you're wanting people to um, to over time through the the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to actually identify their own their own preaching voice, right um, so I, I have shifted and changed over time uh, in in many many different ways with my own preaching.
1: Hmm. well, y- you listen to uh, I've got a guy I will email you I will email you a uh, a link to to a guy. I won't mention his name I won't mention his name on here, but <laughs> I will email you a link to a guy who I I want you to I want you to listen to just just give his give one of his sermons just to, just to hear, yeah. and I would love to know what what you hear on that end. You know uh-huh. how like what comes through on that because I'm fascinated, absolutely fascinated by this yeah. guy's preaching style. It's yeah. so it's it's so smooth. I mean, it's yeah. just, and he's a manuscript preacher, yeah. and it just it's so smooth. Yeah, But for, I mean, even a manuscript, having the manuscript in front of him yeah. and, and reading it, it, it just, it moves like a movie. It moves like a film. Yeah. And it's super incredible. So yeah. I, I will, I will forward you that and you can, you could take a look at it and then, and uh, I would love to hear, I would love to hear what you, what you have, what you have to say about that.
2: That'd be great. That'd be what, great.
1: uh, what, what preaching style best fits, uh, or what label or what, um, uh, what would you call your preaching style?
2: Yeah, uh, certainly uh, narrative preaching. I, I would have a I would have a preference for narrative. However, that's changed over the years. So uh, Tom Long, as he moved into retirement, I remember being at the um, Academy of Homiletics, which is you know kind of the once-year a year gathering of those who teach preaching in North America, and for his retirement. Uh, he, he gave an excellent talk on uh, kind of the end of the new homiletic. Uh, and, and by that, what he meant was narrative is not over. But how narrative uh, preaching really benefited from a Christendom mindset, right? When everyone was nominally Christian and there was um, a little bit of, you know, um, Augustine borrowing from Cicero, delight and struck persuade, right? There was a bit of delight in, in, uh, in the new homiletic. We love to hear good stories being told by great storytellers, right? Uh, but how he was noting in the, the move into post-Christendom, which we are fully, like, fully into here, um, narrative alone doesn't carry the freight, because there has to be, my own language would be, there has to be a catechetical function, there has to be a teaching function um, to, uh, to the actual uh, sermon moment. And so I found my own preaching. I used to I used to have, for example, I used to have more humor in my sermons. When I think back over the years, and, and I regret that in some ways, almost bordering on joke telling at times. Um, and when I think about my sermons now, there's still a humorous illustrations and that kind of thing. But um, a lot of that has been stripped away because I feel more and more as I stand in the pulpit, Um, and and I should have a self-disclosure, I've I've shifted, I still teach preaching, but I'm primarily now a missiologist. And that came out of actually just being a congregational preacher. Over time, I realized that the sermon alone wasn't bringing the kind of transformation that I was hungry for in the congregation. And so I stand in the pulpit now, preaching every week in local churches. I look after a little one as an interim moderator, Uh, great, great church. Um, And what the burden on my heart now is uh less about delight uh it is partly instruction but it's also persuasion not even for their sake partly so but for the people they're going to bump into let me say it differently i'm standing there and now the benediction has become as important to me as the preaching moment because i stand to give a blessing and i realize i have no clue where these people are going this week and in the Christendom model that encouraged people to, my language be, outsource their baptismal vows to paid clergy, uh, that's, that's not on anymore. And so the hands and feet of Christ are walking out the door of this church. And when that uh, young mom is dropping her kids off at the school and the mom she's talking to says, uh, I think my husband's cheating on me when the accountant, when he's in the office and he's noticing some pretty important financial errors that his boss is making on purpose, uh, when the coworker across the cubicle says, I think my teenager is back on drugs, have I equipped these people to speak gospel into those situations, right? As we send people out into the world, um, how how is the sermon connected to that kind of ongoing formation? And, and that's really where... Um, my preaching, I think, has become even more kind of serious over the years because the stakes feel higher now than years ago when people would come just out of kind of nominal tradition, at least where, at least where I sit here in the, in the northwest
0: of North America. Are you or someone you know wanting to make a difference with your life, but you're not sure where to start? At Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, they help students discover the kingdom assignment that God has for them and then train them to carry it out. Ozark prepares students for all kinds of Christian service, biblical communication, biblical justice, youth and children's ministry, counseling, missions, organizational leadership, worship and creative arts, and much more. Ozark's close community, Bible foundation, and commitment to service prepares students to take the gospel to every corner of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. And Ozark's affordable tuition offers a quality private Christian education at a public university price. Ozark Christian College, your mission is out there. Your training starts here. It's a heavy weight.
1: Mm.
2: it is. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a very heavy weight. I mean, what we I I like talking about the mechanics of preaching. I like talking about <clears throat> the the um, the movements. I like talking about how how perfectly a, a an illustration can weave a uh, weave a story. Uh, you know what? You know what? Illustration I absolutely loved of yours. Um, the sermon—I can't remember what it was. It's uh, the illustration you used was the one about you and your daughter going and seeing um, uh, Sleeping Beauty, Beauty and the Beast,
2: Beauty and the Beast. Okay, Beauty and the
1: Beast. Yes, and and as as that as that illustration unfolded, yeah. and I, what was so good about it was you started off using this this word surprise, yeah. and you and you were, and this was a Christmas message, I believe, Christmas uh, Eve.
2: That sounds right. Now, now you're testing my memory, boy.
1: Uh, well, let me tell you what you said.
2: <laughs> Bless you.
1: So, you started off with surprise, and no. it was about it was this idea that the angels, the angels showed up, and the shepherds were having a day at work. This was just a normal day at work. This was not anything. This is like the teacher who is in their classroom cleaning up, and suddenly. This thing happens or the accountant and this thing happens or the mom and this thing happens and 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 you talk about surprise and then you shift and what's and this was what you just you that you did that was just so so cool you Mm -hmm. shifted me from this line of thought that we were going on to narrative and you broke into this story my daughter and I we went and watched Beauty and the Beast. And there is this wonderful scene where uh, Luminary begins to kiss the, the hands and up the arm yeah. and, of, uh, <laughs> of I don't remember who it was. That's right. And you were, and you were, you were telling this, this story of this. And this was a play. This was a yep. play you were watching.
2: That's right. Here in Vancouver.
1: Yes, you were watching a play. And, and, and at that moment, can, can you tell us the rest of that story?
2: man, I, I can't, you're, you're, you're killing me with this. Oh, love,
1: let, let me, let me give it to you. This is, it's I'll so wonderful. It. It's so wonderful. And, <laughs> and as, as kissing up the, kissing up the arm and, um, and that moment, yes. a little, a little kid, I, I, I to, yes, says, oh, gross. <laughs> and, and the actors on stage froze, laughed to themselves, yeah. took a moment yeah. yeah got back in character and went on and then you said surprised and I was like well, you got me you yeah. got you took me down this line and I thought now we're in this story and I don't know where we're going and you brought me back around surprise uh, I appreciated that it was just a very good move and as as small of a thing as that is yeah breaking up that thought sure helps keep the attention of the
0: hearer you know. I agree,
2: and I think that's where narrative continues to play an important role. I do, I do think that um, you know deductive preaching. Uh, here's the topic for the day. Here's what I'm going to talk about. Uh, here are three points, uh, and I'm going to close with a poem or a prayer. There's still a place for that. I, I hear the three points in a poem always. Uh, people use that kind of in a derisive fashion. I don't think that's helpful. There, there are certain scriptures. There are certain topics that require very direct teaching, but i i think our um, i think our minds uh, are hardwired now out of the sitcom era and the Netflix era of storytelling to to not be deductive but to be inductive. We we want to be uh, brought along, right? You want to have you want to use your words to paint pictures to take people on a journey that ultimately, for me, um, uh, all, all preaching needs to end in doxology, right? So, so the journey that we're on through uh, ups and downs, judgment, grace leads to praise of Father, Son, Spirit. And so, how you take people on that journey, and it's, it's awesome to hear you tell that story because literally, like that, uh, when, as I'm sitting writing that sermon, it's not like, oh, surprise, let me go to my file folder it literally happened that week right that's why i was like yeah well i totally remember going to beauty and the beast but i don't i don't stalk stories i i know what i'm the scripture i'm preaching uh and i put it in my back pocket so to speak and i take it everywhere with me that week and uh you know a a fellow missiologist here in vancouver alan roxborough talks about being a detective of divinity right Mm -hmm. uh and that we are we are like a, a sleuth for the divine Uh, We're looking for clues uh, of divine fingerprints in our everyday life. Uh, And, uh, you know, the the whole missional theology slogan of joining God in the neighborhood, I mean, it's a bit overused. And I also, at times, I worry that it makes it sound too easy. I actually think noticing what Father, Son, and Spirit are up to in the world, um, that takes a discipline. That takes training. Uh, And so I think that's one of the jobs of the preacher is to be able to, to lift up. Uh, either in their own experience that week, or in the experience they hear from others, uh, glimpses right of revelation of where God is breaking into uh, into
1: their lives. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant because one of the things that I think we do is uh, preachers preachers who are preaching regularly that, and I've used this phrase before, writing the same book report or writing a different book report on the same book every <laughs> week. You know, for 35 years, yeah, you know, yeah.
0: That's so good. write me
1: a new book report and it's, <laughs> Sundays just keep showing up. And I think, I think the, I think one of the dangers of, well, one of the dangers of not getting the rest you need, not taking Sabbath, not, mm-hmm. not taking a sabbatical, getting away. One of the dangers of, of, of that is you get into those grooves a, as a preaching minister that you will, you will stop seeing, you will stop thinking about, you'll stop remembering that your task as a preacher isn't just to take, the words from the king and give them to the people. But it's also to tell the people this is how you interpret what the king is saying on the regular, you know. Yes. Being able to yep. put that out in front of them and say, this is the thing you have to be on the look for. If the king comes through and right. he's got this look on his face, you should know, you yes. know. If the king comes through and he has bread in the cart, then you should know. Like being able to give people these pictures of, oh, so that's what this means. Oh, yeah. so that's – and I think that's a very good point that you brought up. That's a very good point. Uh, so this leads into the other one of the other questions. Yeah. Part of your sermon writing process has a lot to do with your own devotional life as well right. like very. those two are those two are very common, right so Is that a thing that you've when you've heard preaching being taught, mm. did you see people try to cut that in half and move them apart and say the preacher should have his own devotional life right. and the preaching part should be you know uh, isolated to only you know whatever what's your what do you what do you have to say about that?
2: That's such a great question. We're into such uh, such an interesting area about not just our own devotional life and our preaching life, but how much of us uh, ends up uh, in uh, in the preaching moment. Um, I, so for me, I think if if uh, my ordination were taken away, if uh, I got let go from the college and didn't get a church. Um, I, I will always be a disciple of the risen Lord Jesus. Like that—that's my first calling, right? And so, uh, you know, when you read guys like Carl Bart, I know people have different opinions on Bart, but uh, you know, he even uh, basically comes close to suggesting that our baptism is our ordination, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, my discipleship comes first, and for uh, my discipleship, that means following Jesus uh, as, um, as a a husband, as, as a father, as uh, a neighbor. Uh, uh, so I'm practicing my devotion to Jesus in my everyday life. And then I also get to, on behalf of uh, the community, uh, interpret the word of God. I mean, I don't understand why more people aren't signing up to be preachers. I really think we have the best gig ever. Like, I just, I love it. I can't get enough of it. And um, so the two are going to flow together, but not, but not always um, uh, at, at kind of working together at the same time. In other words, here, here's what I mean, is if as a preacher, if you're only reading scripture in order to preach it on Sunday, that's a problem, right? <laughs> so uh, I could turn the laptop, but I won't. But in the corner, I have something that's very un here in my office. I have a kneeler. I have a kneeler. Which my uh, Irish uh, Presbyterian relatives, if they find out, will probably like run me out of town next time I see them in, in Northern Ireland, uh, saying it's Catholic. But I'm like just so scattered. Every morning, I start in prayer and uh, scripture reading on my knees uh, here in the office because I need to focus on what God is doing. And I have a, a prayer life where I pray for I pray for different things each day. Uh, Monday, I pray for uh, mission and evangelism. Tuesday, I pray for the life and work of the college. Wednesday, I pray for the church, especially for pastors I know who are struggling. Uh, Thursday, for the world. Friday, this one is I've added over the years, it's been so important to pray for enemies. And typical, polite Canadians will say, oh, I don't have any enemies. Yeah, we, we all have people who piss us off, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and people that we've been unkind to mm-hmm. as well, right? Uh, And then Saturday, I pray for family and friends and Sunday for Sabbath uh, and in kind of that Eugene Peterson way of pray and play. Right. And so um, having my devotional life is core. And then there are moments where one spills into the other, you know, preaching life, uh, discipleship life. But so much, as you know, and and preachers listening, so much of um, what we could use in a sermon ends up on the cutting room floor. And that's part of the discernment, right, of, of what to put in, how much of ourselves to put in. Um, when I was at seminary, uh, I'm not a preacher's kid, grew up in a Christian family, but um, no preachers in my history. Uh, and so when I went to seminary, I asked preacher's kids that were in seminary with me, what did your parents do really well or what did they really mess up for you as a kid? And one of the things I took away was uh, never speak ill of the church at home. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I have always done this. Like uh, we have a nice family meal every night. Technology goes away uh, and we check in on our day. And then when the kids go off, close the doors. And when I was in congregational ministry, I would say, man, Mrs. Jones is driving me nuts. She is a crazy lady. Right. Uh, and uh, but to, to be careful on that. And in the same way, I, I I try, to, I try to protect um, stuff in the family. I, and as my kids are getting older, for example, uh, that illustration you use of Beauty and the Beast, I will say, hey, so my daughter and I were at uh, the play uh, down Beauty and the Beast in, on Granville Street this week. But I don't get into stuff about her life, right? Uh, and uh, I, I have a rule with my kids. If I specifically mention stuff about them in the sermon i i have to pay them five bucks so and uh my son has called me out and i was preaching that we have a great church plant here in the city meets in a movie theater and uh, the pastor a friend of mine was kind of interviewing me ahead of time and i wasn't prepared for it which is fine but i i gave a reference to something we did as a family that weekend i gave an explicit example of something that my son had had uh, done and on the way out he said you owe me five bucks so uh, you know, there's kind of that moment of how much of ourselves do we put in, uh, and uh, and if a story is great and it just doesn't work, you need to let it go, right? You just you, you yeah. can't force in stuff from your life and your discipleship into the sermon,
1: right? That uh, uh, one thing that happens is is current events will often dictate to a preacher like what we're preaching on this week you know? yeah uh, whether it's personal events yeah. so I went to the doctor this week and um you know <laughs> Luke was a doctor and, <laughs> that's, know, good. That's, that's, the, that's that's the kind of stuff is just, it, it just comes I mean almost out of out of nowhere you that's know
2: painful.
1: that's uh, painful uh yeah it's and it's hard to watch it's hard to <laughs> it's just and I'm one of those kind of guys that I get embarrassed for other people, know. you know, I you don't. know, when you see something and you're like, ah, like, I ah, know I'm embarrassed. Like I'm a, <laughs> like, I'm blushing. I don't even know this guy, but I'm <laughs> blushing on my, I'm like this is, I'll tell you something else. I noticed, I just got back from a, uh, a convention called the preaching teaching convention at Ozark Christian college in, uh, in Joplin and incredible, incredible. They had some really great, really great, really great speakers and uh, workshops. Um, one of the things I realized though, is I'm, I'm there kind of, um, pitching this podcast idea, yeah. taking in the, uh, taking in the, 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 speakers and the workshops and just kind of connecting and networking with guys that, yeah. uh, this is a little off the subject, but, but funny yeah. when I would talk about this preaching podcast, I would say this, it's a podcast, it's called the homilist. All the young people would say, what's a homilist yes all the old people would say what's a podcast
2: (laughs) that is good
1: it's like wow this is here's what i noticed though and and that kind of segues into when these guys would listen to the keynote speakers Mm. and i get to listen to and talk to really great preachers but a lot of people don't as i would listen to them listen to these keynote speakers they were like they were on every single word, at the the smallest joke that you would just kind of, that you don't invest the energy to laugh at. You appreciate yeah. whatever's coming after it. You don't want to laugh and not hear. You just want to listen, like, just give it a grin, you know, yeah. like catchy, good, witty, <laughs> very clever. Let it just kind of slide on by like, okay, because he, he's going to take me somewhere. But no, like some of these guys, it was like they were in the desert. I have ah! I have not heard anything so funny in a slapping one. I mean, there was a, there's, I don't know. I mean, I I would guess, I would guess somewhere between five, maybe 700 preachers, you know, and so many of them just thirsty for content. That's funny. That's fresh. That's insightful. That's enlightening. And it was almost painful to watch. Like, Okay. hey dial it down this guy's getting to the point like you're gonna miss it you're gonna you're gonna miss it you know it was so it was it it was just so telling you know that you could tell people who had not been able to listen to this kind of stuff and they were getting to hear it like oh wow what a what a tall glass of water like that just so refreshing you know that is so perfect you know
2: Well, and it's a it's a reminder for us. I mean, we obviously we love preaching, dedicate so much of our lives to both the study of and the practice of, right? And it does take years and years and years to kind of hone the craft, and we're always learning, always learning. I mean, we know that kind of feeling of when you prepare a sermon, you think is okay, and it just it doesn't work, right? And uh, and yet, you when when you visit traditions, Christian traditions, where preaching has not been as valued. Um, it, it's fascinating so example first uh, week and a half of this year in January I was in Manila and I was lecturing on homiletics uh, at a couple of seminaries one of uh, one of the seminaries had a lot of Anglican or Episcopalian students and you know they, they preached seven minutes maybe oh yeah and it was just fascinating to see how they were drinking it up because in the course of their seminary education they really hadn't received much training and uh, I just think wow like, uh, in the reform tradition, if you can't preach your way out of a bag, you're done. Like, like no one's going to call you. And right, so, right. Um, it, it was a reminder of how important the basic teaching of preaching really is. Uh, even if you come from a tradition that values preaching, we can always improve. We can always do better.
1: Yeah, uh, Ross. One more, one more question. I know you're going to have to cut out of here.
2: Yeah, no problem.
1: It's um, great. Yes, it has been. And I want to talk about that in a second. But I need to know this information before you go. Um, part of the deal that this thing kind of sprouted out of was this was this statistic that I picked up. I, I one of those things I heard somebody from the southern baptist, the Kansas-Nebraska Southern Baptist Convention. And a guy said something along the lines of with the people that the guys that he is working with directly, eighty five percent of the preachers in the Kansas-Nebraska Convention bivocational.
2: aha, uh-huh. Yeah.
1: That kind of spurred a part of me to say, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a rural setting myself and, but this is a full-time gig and I've, there's another guy that's on staff yeah. and, um, we've got, we've got the resources to go to conferences and we've got the resources to get new books and, and, and whatever else, but there's guys out there that don't, they mm-hmm. don't have that. And I, and when I talk to some of these guys, you can, you, you can sense this feeling of, uh, of abandonment almost, like yeah. they've, <laughs> Jesus called me to the church and they, I don't know if he's coming back for me or not, you know, yeah. like he, he left me here. There's, is there anybody out there that, you know, and, and it probably a good portion of, of the same kind of uh, guys in the same situations are probably what I was seeing at this convention as well. Mm-hmm. You know, So there's a lack of resources. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a lack of time because they're busy driving buses and being yep. plumbers yep. Uh, and doing, doing different things to the guys out there that, that get frustrated in ministry. And it doesn't have to be a small church. Those that's, that's what's blaring and white hot around me that I see, you know, but it doesn't have to be small church. When guys get to that place, to where they they begin to crash in ministry, they feel discouraged. Mm. They feel like it's not it's not making any it's not making any growth at all. Um, what are some things that you could you could say to encourage those guys to to stick to it, or uh, you know, maybe consider insurance? Yeah.
2: <laughs> wow, that's such a great question. I mean, it's uh, I had a, a pastor friend in a local Baptist church who I respect a lot. Uh, years ago, I said to him, what, what's the most important thing for people to, to have in ministry? He didn't think long. He said, uh, perseverance. You need perseverance. Mm-hmm. And so whatever that looks like, however you need to care for yourself. I, I get a bit twitchy around the language of self-care um, because I, I think, you know, we are in a fallen world where redeemed sinners, uh, that can uh, that can go bad directions, but I think, um we all know what we need to be healthy. Like so, for me, for example, I go twenty-four seven, and then I love like a couple of days of quiet, and then I'm ready to go another three, or four weeks twenty-four seven. That might not be a healthy practice for other people. Other people may need more of a, a regulated approach. Um, I, I think the first thing is to uh, to celebrate God's grace. That sounds ridiculous. I teach uh, a course on pastoral care. Where I assign Andrew Purvis's book. He's uh, in Pittsburgh uh, Theological Seminary called The Crucifixion of Ministry. And students don't like it very much. Uh, that's why I keep assigning it. And uh, he has a, a pretty damning phrase in the book where he says Look, there is nothing, nothing redeemable about your ministry. Only the ministry of Jesus Christ redeems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of students, you know, they're all eager to go. And it's going to, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Um, And uh, Paul Scott Wilson at the University of Toronto uh, was uh, my kind of master's level uh, homiletics prof. His book, Four Pages of the Sermon, I think is still one of the most helpful intro where he just walks people through and says, any text, uh, judgment in the text, corresponding judgment in the world, uh, grace in the text, corresponding grace in the world. Um, The reason he structures it that way is his major complaint is that he listens to too many sermons that are focused on human agency rather than divine agency. And so a lot of burned out pastors that I meet with, uh, it's all about what they need to do uh, and what they haven't done or what hasn't gone well. And uh, when I listen to sermons, I always listen how they end. When they end with phrases like, we just need to, or you must. Um, I'm wondering whether Father, Son, and Spirit is active in his world, Right. Uh, because if it's up to us, we're hooped. Uh, you know, it's just astonishing being a reform guy and loving the sovereignty of God that what God could accomplish in His own sovereign way, He chooses to partner with us. Like that was a bit of a curious calculation, right? Yeah. Uh, because you know our track record as as human beings. So um, rest a bit that it's not all up to you. It's about the ministry of Jesus Christ. That this is moving to. A glorious conclusion. Uh, we live between first and second advent, and uh, we are trying to be faithful in the time and place God has given us. But I pray that your podcast would help folks like that, especially around the preaching. Maybe they don't have a formal education in preaching, or let's be honest, even those with a, a Bachelor of Theology or Master of Divinity, who taught them preaching? Could have been a stinker of a preaching professor, right? We have a <laughs> lot of a lot of people in full-time ministry who haven't cracked a homiletics book in years. And they're downloading parts of their sermon off the internet. And, you know, it's like pumping carbon monoxide into the sanctuary when you hear them preach, right? Uh, so, um, uh, you know, man, we all need help. And I'm, I'm praying that your podcast will, will bless folks who are hungry for revival in their preaching.
1: Dr. Ross. Lockhart So good Thank you so much For doing this I'm absolutely I wish you didn't have to go Because I could sit And we could have this conversation For another For another 50 minutes This is wonderful Maybe we'll do it again I would love for you To come back And do it again
2: That sounds great And if you have me on again I'll wear a different bow tie For you
1: (laughs) Perfect I promise you I'll probably wear Another (laughs) t-shirt
2: I like that t-shirt It's good
1: (laughs) It's kind of cool Yeah I'm kind of excited about it So Uh, little little product little product placement. So, uh, Doctor Lockhart, thank you so much for coming and doing this. I appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. Bless you.
1: I'll talk to you soon. Okay. See you.